Blog Talk Radio. Poetry Reading Series. This series is designed to showcase the works of poets from around the world. The host of the program is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. My very special guest tonight is the one and only, the acclaimed Linda Embler. Linda, are you with me? I am, Michael. Thank you so much. As I said, the one and only, you are so prolific. You're an incredible writer. I am so glad that you're with me tonight. Well, thank you. Gosh, that makes me feel good. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Anything for you, Linda. I've got a quick question for you before we begin. Okay. All right. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Uh, Let's see. Um, There... uh, I was introduced by poetry to teachers when I was really young. And one of the poems that I remember most and seems to have inspired me the greatest was, was a poem by a lady named Elizabeth Maddox Roberts. And it was called the woodpecker and it had rhyme and it had a very detailed description of what the book, the bird looked like and what it did. And I thought that was way cool. I mean, I was really impressed by the fact that she was able to bring this bird alive on the page. So that was a real, really important experience. Um, a little later, when I got to be a teen, I started hearing poetry through music lyrics, and that had a lot of power for me also. Mm-hmm. So where do you write, Linda? Where do you go to write? Where do I write? Oh, gosh. Yes. Let's see. Um, I do – well, I do the majority of my writing in the dead of night because I'm kind of a hopeless – insomniac um i write any basically short answer any word mood hits i mean seriously i have written things down in restaurants i pulled out my phone asked siri to open voice memo in stores in parks and concert halls so that i don't lose a phrase or an idea for a poem or even a title um and so i try and be really surreptitious about it but if i don't write some of the great phrases down that I come up with, then later sometimes I have to settle for something in a poem that doesn't relate to the same idea or image. So, and, and, and that's very heartbreaking for me. So I kind of seize the moment without putting my life on hold. Um, now, now, I don't know. You, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say you've written a number of collections. Am I correct? I have, yes, yes. I have, uh, right now I have seven poetry collections. Yes. Wow. Are they all available on Amazon? They're all available on Amazon. Some of them are self-published, and some of them are published through Soma Publishing. And Soma Publishing only does e-books. So, but all my self-published works are available on paperback or Kindle. Yes, and they're all on Amazon. Well, I guess what I was thinking is that have you ever thought about writing under a pseudonym? Has there ever been possibility? Have you wanted to? Uh, Well, this. 
that's kind of an interesting question. Um, I've always wanted to write something under the name Eleanor because I love that mm-hmm. name. I, so now, right. and, and maybe I'll do that someday on just a few poems. But you know, I I, I want to be me, and the poems will sound like me. But I just I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool to do, you know, like like Rumi. You know, he does, he, he was one name. I I could be Eleanor. You know, one name. Well, why not? That's what you're supposed to do, right? Yes. Well, look, instead of my holding you up, please share some of your work. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, you don't bother me one little bit, just so you know. I love talking with you. Yes. I'm going to read two poems out of my very first book, and I'll explain this one to you after I read it, uh, what the whole point of it was, although – it's not real hard to follow. Um, this is one of the few poems that I've written where I, I do rhyme. I don't do a lot of rhyming. I do a lot of free. That's the other thing I learned that had power. I was able to write a lot more and stuff when I just kind of went through a, a freestyle. Okay, this one's called Pusher. The doctor stands at the corner of the street smiling at passersby. His customer base grows daily in frigid winter or hot July. No one knows how long he's been here, nor where he came from, nor from where he came, nor where he goes when the day is done, or even knows his name. Some see him as charming and debonair. Others only see his unctuous air. He offers his product to those willing to pay exorbitant prices day after day. To women or men, kids or teens, the up-and-coming or the sad has been. Those in this thrall will steal to get their fix, destroy their marriage, even turn tricks. Will lie to those who once trusted them, will kill and set out, sell out others using foul stratagem. His specialties in great demand, his merchandise is prime. No, he doesn't sell them drugs. What he sells is time. And, and um, that's the poem. Hmm. Tell me about that poem. Well, uh, my first book is called Big Questions, Little Sleep, and it's divided into two sections. There's time section and the death section. And for the time section, that's my introduction into the time section. And this poem came hmm. out of – I had gone to uh, Denver to visit family and had um, noticed all the marijuana – factories there so that got me thinking about the whole drug thing okay. and then I, I only spent a couple of days there and I, re, I really had a hard time leaving because I was having so much fun I'd never been out there before I got to see most of Mike's families out there in Colorado so it was a, a kind of a daily going around in a circle you know from one person to the other but I had a lot of fun so I, then I started thinking about the time thing you know most people wish for the fun good things they do to have they wish they had more time to do, you know, could spend more time with a family or wish the movies lasted longer or whatever. So I kind of, on the way home, I kind of put those two ideas together about mm. wanting more time and, and the whole kind of people selling things that people wanted, you know, but in this case, it's not drugs. All right. Time. Very important. That's where that came out of. Yeah. My uh, then one out of the death section. Um, 
this one, I, I, I go to a lot of concerts, and I go through toll booths to get there and everything. And it always kind of makes me crazy when everybody thinks that they have to do the 50-mile-hour thing at the very end and then screech up to the toll booth. I could never do that job. I'm afraid somebody would run over me. It was, this one, so this one was kind of based on that whole observation. This one's called Tolling. Wheels fast spun, life undone, the lending crowd of cars, the fleet with pedal to the metal, racing each to be the first, metallic he beasts making passes at Cougars, Chryslers, Cadillacs, toll taken at the end of the road. Before that, the rotating wheels grabbed the ground, sounds the alarm at the rumble strips like drum fire, warning to slow down along the asphalt. But rolling thunder so loud is jeering, steering and veering around without fearing. I'm hearing that the death knell is now ringing. Ahead, the tolling of that bell is the final sound. Now pay the toll. Death was heralded, and tall modern cairns are constructed from blood and mangled metal. The lemming city stream of cars races past the also-rans and their monuments and sounds the alarm at the rumble strips like drum fire. And that's that poem, Michael. Mm. We well, you know those rumble strips do kind of sound like drum, you know, drum rolls. Yes. yes, they do. Yes, they do. Wow. And nice. there, I, I have seen, yeah, I have seen accidents along that. Okay. My second book is called Lost and Found, and it's about things lost and, and things found, things such as, your reputation, your sense of humor, you know, it could be life, could be whatever. Um, and I picked reputation as ones to read out of this book. Uh, the first one's called The Rumors of Trees. The leaves of rumors skitter down windstrip streets on puffs of air expelled from the mouths of trees. Strewed words, pervert deeds seen with false judgment, published secrets with bad intent. Secrets told to them by those who trusted and did not understand that the most willing ears are frequently partnered with the most busy lips, such as those of the mouths of trees. Their branches having absorbed from their own gnarled boughs a twisted twisted truth now rendered inaccurate as their own limbs affect bending to suit the will of the wood. The leaves of rumor gathering at gutters, clogging the paths of truth. Here the worst damage is done. Where water is not allowed to wash away real or imagined sin or reveal defamation as lies. They accumulate here and elsewhere as whispers grow, stockpiling hate into growing mounds of invention. They act as pawns from the tree's blackest hearts loosened by trees to carry messages of back fence talk where they also cluster. The wisest and kindest among us will walk among these, those heaps and will hear the crunch, but will not heed it. We'll understand that time desiccates lies and distortions into indefensible, baseless wrestling to once and for all be drowned out by the language of truth. Okay, and that's that poem. Mm-hmm. That's a loss of reputation. And then uh, finding a reputation or, or, or understanding reputation is in this poem called Blood right here. I've also been proud, 
I have always been proud of my distinguished benefit to this earth, surpassed only by oxygen. Yet at times, my portrayal is less than benevolent. My most precious essence, as red as cherries, apples, Oklahoma dust, spilled in the street for the price of territory, frozen by horrors of truthful revelation, thickened by cold, boiled by outrage, or depict me as the moon's command over ladies, offering womanhood, granting new life. Some believe one shed me to deliver this world. Lifetime loyalties have been sworn in my name. See me as you will. The end. All right. Thank you so much, Linda. We'll be right back. You're welcome. like to speak with Linda, the telephone number is 646-787-1631, and actually, we have a caller, Linda. I'd like to bring this person Yay. online. All right. Area code 269. The first three numbers are 270. You're on the air. Hi. You have a question for Linda. Yes, hello. Hi. Uh, Hi. Yeah, I was just going to... Hi, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. How's the weather? Uh, hot, 95. Nice. <laughs> I was wondering what age were you when you started writing poems? Well, uh, as a young girl, I was probably about nine. That's when I started writing poetry. Um, I didn't really keep up with it then. Uh, back then, everything had to rhyme, and I made my own poetry books and paper and cardboard and shiny wrapping paper. And I started writing in earnest in 2015. Oh, wonderful. Do you have any advice for other poets or people aspiring to write poetry books? Yes, actually, actually, I do. Um I think the best thing that I can say is um, the prerequisite to becoming a writer is to be an avid reader. And the reason I say that is that that exposes people to styles and vocabulary and use of words, and it's just a really effective way to gain insights and ideas. And then if you combine those with your life experiences, you kind of form the seeds of writing. Um, The one one other piece of... um, so I would recommend that somebody read and then they write, write, write. But one of the most important pieces of advice that I can give to somebody who is writing is to share your writing with someone that you trust to give you constructive criticism rather than just compliments because the writing will never improve if you, you know, people have – they keep using the same words or they keep doing this or they keep doing that, or maybe their punctuation isn't so hot or whatever. So it's good to have somebody look at the work. But Linda, that, 
Makes sense. What if, yeah. you, what if you don't like what if you don't like feedback? What if you don't like feedback? Um well, then you're probably not <laughs> going to improve very much. And, and seriously, yeah, you're 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 just not. I it, it's that's why that's why you find someone you trust because that person's going to they're gonna they're gonna be kind about the way that they correct uh, uh, maybe uh, asking you to use another synonym this would make more sense or this particular line is stilted or something you know you're gonna hear those things and if you trust that person that means you mm-hmm. like that person you're yes. gonna be a lot less you know yeah. So don't get feedback just from any old person. But get somebody that's going to be honest with you, like I said, uh, give you constructive criticism rather than just compliments. Because anybody can tell you, oh, every, you know, oh, I love every piece of work you ever did. Well, I'm sorry, even I don't like every poem I ever wrote. So, right. you know, that's a lie. Right. So I right. hope that helps. Is she still there? Yes, she is. Yes, I'm here. That's great advice. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Who am I speaking with? Do you want to tell me? Uh, this is Katarina Bush. Oh, okay. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Hi, it's nice <laughs> to meet you as well. Are you a writer? All right. There, can I read some stuff somewhere? I am. I am a writer. Um, well, I'm a published poet, and I am also a writer. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm in the literary yard. I'm in literature today. A few places. I was uh, working for seniors care class. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll find some of your stuff then. Thank you. It's very nice to meet you. Thank you you so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Bye. Thank you, Katarina. Thank you very much. All right. All right. All right, Linda. Yes. You're on. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see, my third book was published by Soma Publishing. It was called The Sea Secret Song, and it's divided into two. I, I'm kind of a theme person. Um, mm-hmm. It's co- the consonance of music and the dissonance of music. And this first poem is from the consonance section. It's called Strum. Speak to us at vibrantly hued close of day. Tremoloed soft notes filter through clear air, ending with a fade. Speak to us by means of the young. We're thrown the vibrating hearts of the warmest, and compassion for those smaller and weaker is so freely expressed. Speak to us as we hear waves lapping the shore, the crush of rock created by time, crescendos echoing the heights to which man's soul can soar. Speak to us by using photographic portraits, faces laden with all manner of emotion, a totality of feelings captured, everything reflected in the shutterbug's lens, no visage, invisible or unattainable. Speak through us, goodness, greatness, lightning of hearts, yours, theirs. Let us be reminded that soft notes still beckon, warmth toward others still stirs the heart. Our time is so limited, every face holds a story of a life lived, whether short or long. Our history heard in the strum of the cosmic musician's performance. The omniscient hum is there for us to discover. And that's that poem. Mm. And then uh, the dissonance part, there was a, it, it's called violence. 
but it's violin and then C-E in parentheses. Um, there was a young man called Diego Frazeo uh, uh, Torquato, and I may not be doing justice to his name because I don't speak mm-hmm. Portuguese, but he was Brazilian. And he was about 12 years old, and he, was, he had a, uh, a man who was a, an activist down there, Eduardo Joajo uh, da Silva, and he ran a, uh, an organization where he would – it was nonprofit to give kids hope and escape from, uh, you know, a negative environment. So he started this string orchestra of Afro-reggae, and they would play to raise donations for sick kids. And um, his – he was – the his – teacher, Diego's teacher was walking home one night with some friends and got mugged and got stabbed and and died. And Diego played at his funeral. And I'd seen the picture of this child uh, playing a violin and crying. And so I had to find out more about, you know, being a teacher, that kind of breaks my heart. So I had to really look into this kid and what happened. So I wrote this for Diego. His ballad measured in beats of his heart's wish to once more hear the lilt of his murdered teacher's voice, the voice that guided him through the bright decoding of lines and signs before the despotic tin horns blasted through his village with cacophonous strut, whose purposeful misfortune strove to paralyze the civility of melody. Weep now, O young one, for the time back before this long and horrible dream, the time that breathed hope, now unseen, When sadness lingered only within the silence between each note. Play now, O young fiddler. Play now this lullaby and survive. Hmm. Linda, I've got a question for you. Sure. Do you think that someone can be a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? (laughs) Um, Well... All of my reasons for writing are born out of strong emotion. I'm a very okay. visceral writer. So right. uh, bearing your soul and everything. That being said, anger is a strong emotion, but it doesn't always translate into good poetry. You know, there are people out there who write the F word as if it's a, meant to be a space between words. Yes. You know, so there's no, no substance within the work, and I can't figure out what the point they're trying to make is. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a shame because they might have a legitimate point, but I can't right. tell what it is. So, yeah, right. yeah from my point. Okay. okay. All right, then. Oh, are you ready for me to read yes, on? Yes, please. Okay. Please on. I can yes. do that. Okay. My, my, uh, my other book, my book, yeah. Sorry, everybody. Uh, my next book is also published by Soma Publishing, and it, it's called Pairings. And what it actually is, is a series of short stories that are paired with a poem. And so this is actually a short story, which I'll read. It's not real long. It's called Isaac's Robot. Third grader Isaac was different, smaller, quieter. He smiled a lot, but he never spoke. He listened carefully to his teacher, Mrs. Kendrick, and did his best, but he learned slowly, and he read even more slowly. 
Choosing books from the library was a challenge and book reports in front of the class possible. He watched other kids play at recess but never joined, even when asked. No one made fun of Isaac. They would just smile at him, and he would always smile back. On one particular library visit, a picture on the front of a book caught his eye. He chose this book, although he could not really read it. It was a book about how to build a robot. Isaac wanted to build a friend. He worked on his robot every after school every day and on the weekends. He made some progress, but not much. It takes a long time for only one person to build a robot, especially when they can't read the instructions. But he never gave up, and he kept at it. When it was time for the next round of book reports, Isaac raised his hand to let Mrs. Kendrick know he was ready. She got tears in her eyes when he stood up with the book, pointed to the cover, and smiled. The class smiled back, and wow, did they clap. In February, Isaac was not at school one day, nor the next day, nor the day after that. That night, the teacher called Isaac's mother. Isaac was in the hospital, and the prognosis was not good. Mrs. Kendrick shared the news with the kids. They didn't say a word. However, at recess, she noticed the kids in a tight huddle. Saturday morning, the doorbell rang at Isaac's house. His mother was at the hospital, but his dad was home. After talking to the kids, Isaac's dad took them to the garage. They were there all day that Saturday and again on Sunday and the next weekend and the next. After six weeks, they had built Isaac a robot. Hmm. Mrs. Kendrick took the robot to the hospital to show it to Isaac. He was very weak, but he managed to smile. His mother asked her to thank the kids. The next morning, Isaac's mother came to the class with the robot. Isaac wanted to share his new friend with the class because, he th- because they were the best kids in the whole world. They were the first thing and the last thing he ever told his mom. The robot sits in Isaac's seat at his desk. It reminds the kids they once had a classmate, a little boy who never spoke but always smiled, just like Isaac's robot. So that's the story. I made it through that. Well, I'm sure I would. Oh, well, and then the, the yes. poem that goes, that's paired with it is called Mute. What leaves a child not wishing to speak, a physical ailment, perhaps he's just meek. To accept such a fate for one so young is to condemn them to loneliness, as he must live among those who ask and others who tell, and he must respond to live his life well. To learn to talk with others opens doors now closed, and to request what's needed helps that child grow. There's much in the world that must be explained, and to live in isolation means he must remain shut away from potential answers and friends, staying limited in what he comprehends. Do not seek to shame him or force an interplay. He should express himself in his own time and way. Do not seek to change him, creating dismay, to show him how to have his say. And when the, sh- the shell has loosened, words will pour forth like rain, opinions stated, replies repeated, never to be confined again. And I think if Isaac had, Isaac had lived, he would have worked his way out of his, I think he was, um, his selective mutism would have disappeared and he, everything would have been fine. So I'm going to call it a happy ending. All right. What are some of the predominant themes of your work, Linda, over the course of your seven, you've written seven volumes. What are some of the predominant themes? Uh, I I, th- I think the way people treat each other is a predominant thing. Well, th- th- everything has a theme, but I think there's mm-hmm. some predominance. But I've written about war and peace and death and time and love 
and selfishness and selflessness. And I've written about animals. Uh, um, I, I don't know other than theming things. I'm not sure I have a predominant thing other than I, I want all my writing to, I don't ever want to leave writing as, as a sense of hopelessness. Okay. There's always going to be a sense of hope in whatever I write. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's That's probably my most predominant thing. All right, all right. Well, please continue. Oh, okay. I was invited to do a poetry reading to the Red Hat Ladies at the Kansas State Fair, which was very exciting. And uh, I've never done poetry readings on 124 before, but that was pretty cool. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, what, am, what in the heck am I going to read to them? So I, I, I put together this book that's uh, called Red is the Sunrise. And it's basically a, a, it's about women, not that men can't read it, um, but it, 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 it's mostly my women poetry. And um, that's the one that I read out of. And this one's called Say Cheese. Say cheese, my best friend told me, in that quirky way she would whisper right before the photographer snapped our eighth grade class picture. Before the prints could be returned, her family abruptly moved out of state. I hope she has had the most hair-raising opportunities, such grand hair-raising experiences that match those we survived during most of that school year. But more than that, I wish for her to have had many beautiful, joyful say cheese moments throughout all her seasons and in the many lands to which she wished to travel. On a beach covered by sand up to her waist as her skin turned pink, wearing snowshoes and thick parkas while walk gliding across an icy glacier as her nose dripped, atop a camel before Giza, feeling as if she would be bow-legged for eternity after the dismount. Wedding day cake cutting, post-birth photos as a new mom, family reunions, graduations, both hers and those of family and friends, her eighth-grade heart still intact. You know, I lost touch with her, so I, I never know what ever happened to her. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, but I wrote that poem for her. So somebody I'll oh, wow. try and track her down. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, thank you. The other po- this one uh, was nominated for Best of the Net from Cirrus Poetry, and it's called A Train to Somewhere. I remember my grandmother's enclosed porch, their Boston Terriers nipping at my heels as I entered the yard. I enjoyed the reminiscences repeated at each visit. I reveled in the laughter that ensued after each anecdote about my childhood was concluded. The story I remember most today is the one about my lone field trip at the age of three to the neighborhood railroad tracks. Little me found by frantic people and returned home safely. In later years, my grandmother, Alzheimer-ridden, was found wandering those same railroad tracks by equally frantic people. I've wondered since, if we were looking for the same thing, the end. Mm. Your work is is lyrical, it's powerful. You are so sweet. <laughs> Thank you. No, it, it is. It is. It is. I mean, the stories that go along with your work, I mean, are incredible. I mean, 
Well, we'll talk about it on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Okay. Calling number is 646-787-1631. Linda, I have a question for you. Okay. All right. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Oh, it, there is no question about it. It absolutely energizes me. Just the idea that I'm going to create something. I, I, I get giddy just laying out my work tools. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that, that, that is definitely. Okay, so... If you think about exhaustion, though, where would exhaustion potentially set in? Okay. For me, exhaustion is the process of submission, but I know mm. that's part of the business of getting published. So if that step somehow someday feels like way too much drudgery, I'll stop. I would stop submitting but keep writing for all the same reasons that I write now. So okay. that, that's the, there's nothing about the writing itself that exhausts me. It's the process afterwards. All right. Now, you stated that uh, you really started in earnest writing in the last five years. What made you decide five years ago to say, hey, I want to be a poet. I am a poet. I know it. But I'm going to start now to really make a concerted effort toward this thing called poetry. Well, that's that's, that's really an excellent question. Uh, There's a couple of things that come into play about that. Number one, I had I, I always knew that I was going to write. Because, as I told you earlier, uh, being a teacher, I love teaching language arts and teaching kids how to write. And I was always really energized by that. Um, I had collected all these quotes and my own thoughts and stuff throughout these years. I had this huge box, just like Mike had this big guitar kit that when he retired, he knew he was going to build guitars. When I retired, I knew I was going to to be, you know, at least attempt to be a writer. And so um, I think it it came out of um, that whole thing that I was talking about earlier about listening to music lyrics and understanding that it was a way to express what was going on in my mind at the time, you know, bearing your soul, exposing your current state of mind, your most vivid memories. Um, it was a way for me to memorialize a person thing or an event, help me from feeling transitory. I mean, there's so many reasons in there, but my writing is a very visceral reaction to what's going on around me. Just like lyrical poets were visceral reactions to what the songwriters were going through. That mm-hmm. really stuck with me. So all that together made me want to say, Hey, this is something I want to do. You know, this is, mm-hmm. I want at least try it. And, um, I I started I wrote my first two poems in January 
and I submitted both of them in June. And in October, this is so weird, within October, within five minutes of each other, they were both accepted. Oh, wow. And so I thought, well, hey. Yeah, you don't see that every day. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll actually, yeah. I know, really. Well, now, they both accepted. Now, the, the, the first one that was accepted um, was actually published that day. But the second one that's accepted wasn't published until two months later. But, hey, okay. you know, <laughs> I, I was thrilled. Yes, yeah. they, they got just as enthusiastic of a thank you letter from me. Believe me. Yeah. Well, what have you learned about yourself from being a poet? Who are you as a consequence of being a poet? Uh, say that last part again. Who am I what? Oh. Who are you as a consequence of being a poet? Oh, okay. Um Gosh, let me think about this for a minute. Uh, what have I learned about myself? I learned, uh, I learned that all those years that I spent doing crossword puzzles in doctor's offices waiting or, you know, dentist's office waiting or just, you know, relaxing at night all paid off because my vocabulary is pretty good. Okay. Um, <laughs> I also, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I also learned that um, – if I really am careful and I really stop and think about it, that I can write things from a different point of view and be fairly mm-hmm. successful at it if I put my mind to it because I'm a good listener. Okay. And I, yeah, so, you know, I, wanting my personality to come out in my writing is really important. But I'm also a very soft-hearted person and yes. I think that comes out in some of my poetry that I th- I want the world to be a good place yes. you know if I'm going to make up a world it's going to be a place that's happy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's yeah. important so those are kind of, I think that's important yeah those are things right. I've learned well please continue sharing your work Okay, let's see. Then I had a, a, another book uh, published by Soma Publishing called That Fifth Element, and I took all the four elements, and then I put everything, the fifth element, it's called That Fifth Element because it's all under the arc of poetry. So uh, here is one of my air, or it could be water, poems, The Army in the Clouds. All over the world, people saw hovering in the sky clouds, their outlines shaped as soldiers. I saw them from my car but wanted a better look. Pulling over, I got out and examined them. Some were black, some were white, and some had gone gray. All around the planet, there were vaporous outlines of all soldiers from all the wars throughout all the years. While looking up at the sky, it started to rain, rain falling as tears. Wherever they were seen, their whispered chant was heard, and they spoke softly as one. Do everything in your power to bring peace to the world so that we may finally rest. And that's that poem. Now, this one has, that one has an interesting story, Michael, because I had a friend, shout out to Vita, uh, who sent me a picture of what looked like soldiers in clouds. And it's kind of one of those frastic things. She goes, I think there might be a, can you write a poem about this? And so guess what? The Army in the Clouds, that's for Vita. All right. 
Okay, then I wrote, here's one about Earth called Night Guard. He walks between each grave unseen, guards each during all the many hours of sunlight. As daylight fades, they are afraid, all those decayed, lying deep under deepening night. He just wants, he just wants to help them get through nighttime dark-hued where there is a lack of candle bright. To ease their fears, he spends his years within frontiers of the stony-edged headstone. Now, we, that's that one. We never really think about the dead being afraid of the living or, or afraid of the night. But mm-hmm. So I kind of wrote that one. Kind of weird, but I wrote oh, it. Oh, wow. Okay. Then um, my last book so far is called Bus Lights Travel Sites, Nashville and Back. I took a bus tour with a bunch of people and some friends, uh, not this March, but last March. And we spent four days in Nashville, and we went through Illinois, and we went through Kentucky, and went through Missouri, went through a lot of places on this bus tour. And it was, the most, it was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't tell you how much fun it was, especially with my music thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael, we went to the Country Music Hall of Fame, and it was full oh, of guitars. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was, oh. <laughs> yeah, you think I, was, um, I, I was. It's almost like I was on nap. I, mean, I was running around. I was like, oh, take a picture of this, take a picture of that. It was really, really a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but the 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 first night that we we stopped in um, Topeka, and because we we started late in the day, and uh, if you ever stayed at the hotel at night, this yes. will make perfect sense to you uh but there was a there was a memorial there there was a a history place uh, about um soldiers and the military and everything we had gone to visit that and so i kind of wrote this as it's called the haunting of ramada 33019 i'm not sure how we can be expecting breakfast after such a night of maleficent buffoonery It must have been the eerie ones. And see, there I'm talking about these military people. Because we all know that living guests keep their hubbub to a minimum out of respect to other guests. All this noise in the dark must be due to the ghosts from the military museum on the lobby flips and canine exhilarations, dog barks, long after midnight. These hoggy lodgers don't want to share this end. Through rumpled wallpaper, the Buffalo Soldiers, Tuskegee Airmen, and Desert Storm Troops sent a lengthy blow of a train whistle, longer than usual, to lull us to sleep. A train using the listless desperation of stretched warbling to lure the living onto the tracks. These are prettier spooks because they are heroes. Their long parade of uniforms and defender ships passing through the ages even while they were slamming doors at 3 a.m. This is a place where ghosts can speak and moving objects without captains are propelled. So why can they not repair the wonky counterweights of the useless elevator? So this is kind of a sarcastic point. We had a pretty crummy night at the hotel. People <laughs> were slamming doors. Well, no, seriously, the elevator didn't work with crap. We're slamming doors at all hours of the night. There's some stupid dog outside our window barking, and, and, and they were right next to train tracks. It was like, 
<laughs> oh my God, it was it was funny. But, so I wrote that poem about my experience. You know, it, talking about uh, the other thing, the other reason I write is trying to kind of get rid of all my, you know, all my pent up anger and somehow <laughs> ridiculous stuff. <laughs> Golly, it was crazy. Well, you stay in the hotel. You know how it is. I mean, oh, yeah. it's always the person right next to you that's slamming the door. It's like, why aren't they eight rooms down? Right next to me, the wall shaking and everything. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. <laughs> anyway, so um, my other poem from the book is called The Parthenon Comes to the South. Now, this is really cool, too, because in Nashville, they have an exact replica of the Parthenon from Greece. I mean, oh, wow. from the size, yeah, to the sta- – it's really cool from the size to the statues to everything. I mean, oh, wow. it, it really is cool. A monolithic vestibule begins to look inside. Deeper in, within four walls, stands the attested pageant of Greek myth. From across the ocean into this Lockland stratosphere stands the idea of a powerful home, an astonishing image, the attempted story of Athena. She whose hidden rage came to bear upon Medusa, whose adverse glances were the undoing of many. Athena, upon whose hand stands the never-pinioned shrillness of Nike. Athena, underneath her feet, the debilitation of the serpent, and upon her shield, a portrait of the languid monster. Modern-seeking peasants strive to mangle the friendly myth. Athena supernatural, all her queenly falsehood apparent like a mythological cavern stands her fateful replica. Athena, golden goddess, in America reintroduced, deconstructed in Greece, there her audience has decreased. That's my poem about Athena. Um, Let's see. I'm trying to think if there's any, oh, I, I know what I was going to read for you. Mm-hmm. I have my, the forward to my Bus Lights Travel Sites book is called Finding Helium as You Travel. Perhaps you think I have floated away among, these lust, among all these lusters. Look for me atop the hills of Kentucky with mint green grass and vivid violet patches below cobalt skies. Touch my sun-kissed skin while standing beside sepia-white sandy shores, bearing baby powder pebbles next to turquoise pearl seas below cerulean shamrock waves. Search for my eyes across fields of inchworm olive green, amid plants of purple pizzazz and leaves of screaming green, flowers of cotton candy razzmatazz. Hear my heartbeat along the trails found on desert sands, glowing as mango tango, orange orange maroon, neon carrot, middle yellow, or bittersweet. Hunt for my soul within the regal St. Peter's Church, sit surreptitiously atop silver periwinkle glaciers, reflecting blizzard blue. Taste my lips at the apex of the mountains made of eggplant, umber, and sun glow rock. I sit and wait for you. I just wanted to write a kind of a pretty poem about traveling and about all the different landforms 
and things mm-hmm. and all the colors and so mm-hmm. yeah. Well, would you would you read that one again because I could see those images and I want to experience it one more time. Oh, bless your heart. Of course I will. Okay. It's called Finding Helium as You Travel. Perhaps you think I have floated away among all these lusters. Look for me atop the hills of Kentucky with mint green grass and vivid violet patches below cobalt skies. Touch my sun-kissed skin while standing behind sepia-white sandy shores, bearing baby powder pebbles next to turquoise pearl seas below cerulean shamrock waves. Search for my eyes across fields of inchworm olive green, amid plants of purple pizzazz and leaves of screaming green, flowers of cotton candy razzmatazz. Hear my heartbeat along the trails found on desert sands glowing as mango tango, orange maroon, neon carrot, middle yellow, or bittersweet. Hunt for my soul within the regal St. Peter's Church, sit surreptitiously atop silver periwinkle glaciers, reflecting blizzard blue. Taste my lips at the apex of the mountains, made of eggplant, umber, and sunglow rock. I sit and wait for you. Mm. What color is periwinkle? Kind of a light blue. Okay. That's a beautiful line. Thank you. Thank yes. you. It's an incredible poem. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you. And then the last poem in the book, if you don't mind me reading this one. If no, we have, no. Please. We, okay, we have time yet. It's called Across the Kansas Prairie, and this one I wrote on the way back um, because I, there were some things that I saw along, along the way. And, and I was recalling some of the day trips that I took with my friends and with Mike as, as I go around. Um, but th- on this one particular trip that uh, Mike and I took, this is what happened. One of our first trips across Kansas toward the sunrise winter fall spree above the din of some choice classic blues station we talked about our plans to keep driving arriving in lawrence dodge city salina winfield and goodland toward colorado and we drove to each of them in ensuing years in changing cars and after short visits we would turn back i think we had thirty dollars between us in the pocket of old bell bottoms enough for gas and brewskis. We drove beside the Arkansas with a semi-flat spare, and we never worried about being stranded on the prairie because good people live in Kansas. Mm. And that, that's people that people poem. Now, before, before, you, before you get concerned, we, we drank no brewskis. No, no <laughs> brewskis were drunk <laughs> in, the, in the car. <laughs> On this trip, true, I am the Brewski police. So, <laughs> yeah, I know you. Yes, well, I knew that. <laughs> Some, somebody warned me, but I won't. I won't rat him out. <laughs> you know, a question for you. <laughs> yes, you've written so extensively. If you had to convince a friend or colleague to read one of your books, what would you tell them? Well, I would tell them. 
and it's, it's interesting because this just kind of came up not too long ago. I had um, a Facebook friend that wanted to buy my first book, and I said, oh, wait, 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 because the last week in July, in fact, it's coming up real fast on me, uh, my second edition of Big Questions, Little Sleep is coming out on Amazon. I'm really excited about that, but it has 66 additional poems. It's still got the, the Tom Death theme. Yeah. But it, and I did some cosmetic work on some of the poems because, you know, after I started, I, I published it a couple of years ago, but since then I've learned to make things look a little, you know, I've used punctuation better and everything. I'm not so sure mm-hmm. I did such a hot job on the first one, but I just think mm-hmm. so there's cosmetic changes, but otherwise the original poems are intact. And then 66 additional ones. 66 additional poems. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't exhaust you All concerned you with right time now. and death. So, you know, we asked me earlier about what some, I guess time and death, that must be it. <laughs> yeah. And it so doesn't exhaust you at now. all. It doesn't exhaust no. you to write. Wow. No, not at all. Like I said, I just I just getting on my pen and paper and thesaurus, I, it, I, I get giddy. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. What? <laughs> what is a sign of success of success as a poet for you? What is a sign of success? Uh, that's a really, really good question. I guess a sign of success is getting getting something accepted somewhere. Um, I feel like it's a successful poem if at least one person wants their readership to read it. Mm. Probably the best way to say that. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, if if somebody accepts your poetry, that means they know that their readership is going to read it. And I really don't think they would accept my poem if they thought it was sucky and, you know, right. And, right. And, yeah, and everybody would hate it. So, so that, mm-hmm. that to me is, is a sign of success. Um, A more immediate sign of success is when I know that I've said what I want to say the way I want to say it. Okay. No, I know when it's done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know when it's done. You know when it's done. I know when it's done. All right. All right. We've got about six more minutes. Will you favor us with some more poems? You want me to read another one? Okay. Yeah, of course. I don't want you to stop. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, I've got one here that's just kind of – one of the things that I do is um, I I write what ifs, and um, shortly after moving into our new neighborhood in St. Louis, my brother convinced the – they had, there were these people that lived two houses over, and they had a pool, and they would let the kids go swim there after uh, – this was in the summer – after they both got home from work. They'd put on their swimsuits, and then they'd open the gate and invite the kids in there. My brother told them he knew how to swim. He didn't. So he almost drowned. Uh, luckily, they saved him. But I wrote this poem as a what if. My mother checks, it's called a backyard incident in St. Louis. My mother checks the yard for my brother every night by flashlight, forgetting he drowned. She's so certain he'll be found. 
My father took the blow-up pool to the dump six months ago. Only five inches of clear water, along with the grass clippings that fell off the soles of her feet. Birds and butterflies lined against yellow and blue rubber, a green garden hose, sending joy and tragedy through the same tube. And each night, the crickets are no guide, and the fireflies unveil no hiding places, and all her calling in the world will never flip the switch back to bright. Mm. That's that one. Will you share one more? I will. Let's see if I can find one that's a little happier. Oh, you'll like this one. This one's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> this, this, one's called, this, this, this one's called War Pain. This is one of my favorites. There, there it is. Okay. Um, okay, if you've ever had, uh, for all you ladies out there listening, if you've ever had another woman go after your man, Receive his advice, okay? <laughs> okay. I can't wait well, for this. There you one. go. No, I, want to hear <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Tonight's battle will begin, but first, as the concealer smooths across my eye folds, I picture her breathlessly saying hello to him, always making sure to say his name in that soft, hushed, sensual way. Some foundation covers my face. I remember she had to have her picture taken with him at the last party. Next, eyeliner and mascara will help my green eyes pop. The last time we, quote, met, I watched her as she leaned against him for just the briefest of moments after running into us, quote, accidentally at the grocery store. I draw a lip stain across my lips to lush effect. I'm recalling her touching his arm for a mere second her small remaining, so sure she was of her victory. Tonight, I have applied my war paint to best advantage. As I check my mirror image, I am confident I will win both the battle and the war. Wow. (laughs) You You don't tell. I don't like (laughs) You do not play. No, I no, I do not. No, oh, honey, you hit it. I do not play. That's right. Oh, that's perfect. What a way that to is. say that. Now, see, I can I can sit that success too, Michael. That you you figured glean from that that I do not play. Yeah. You know what? You are one of my absolute favorite people to interview to have as a guest on my program next time it will oh, not take you. two or three years for you to come back i will i will, I will be back absolutely that's right that's why you have an open invitation anytime anytime and i want to thank, thank you. you and i will call in periodically okay and linda embler her books Recently. are available on amazon.com please go out and buy copies buy books let's celebrate a fantastic artist and to everyone, good night. <laughs> good night, Michael. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.